All right, Living Word, Christmas is 12 days away. And as we've been discovering in this series, Dejunking Our Lives, we realize that, that Christmas is actually one of the most stressful times of the year. In fact, they say that Christmas ranks up as one of the most stressful events in your life, right up there with moving and job chains and having kids. Christmas is right up there. And it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, but we many times see it as one of the most stressful times of the year because I think um, in, in, in the month of December, we see how many things that we can actually cram in the month of December without losing it, right? We just see how many things can we just cram in there in between concerts and Christmas parties and shopping and all this other stuff. Um, we can kind of get lost in the whole meaning of Christmas. It was interesting. I was reading some uh, statistics and they said, according to the Center of, uh, for Disease Control and Prevention, up to 90% of all illnesses and disease is related to Christmas. No, I'm teasing. Is related to stress. Just having stress. An article in the Harvard Business Review said that 80% of Americans are stressed at work. We are a stressed out People, we are stressed out, and so we know that um, uh, we, we know that stress is going to be there. But I think what happens is um, we we buy the lie that somehow um, life is always going to get better. And I, and I think we I call it I made this up, but I call it the once my syndrome. And what do I mean by once my? Well, I think we buy the lie and we think that, that once my health is better, I'll have less stress. Once my job gets better, I'll have less stress. Once my income increases, things will be better or slow down. Once my life starts to settle down. Um, things will become less uh, stressful. Once, uh, for you that you parents that have young kids, it's, it's once my kids are potty trained, life will get better. For our family, it was always like we always had two in diapers, right? And you're like, once that happens, and then it's totally something new and, and, and different. Once my kids get older and, and get out of the house, get out of the house, Right? Uh, things will get better once my, and we all know that the once my syndrome is a complete lie. And, and once something settles down, how many you know something else always takes its place? It's just, that's just life. We think one thing settles down and then, and then another thing comes up. That's just living here under the word. Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. He read Ecclesiastes. He, he lays it flat out for us that this is the lot of life. This is what we're left with in this world. And so we all know that we have to live with stress. There's no way to completely eliminate it or, or to be completely prepared about life's events. Something's come around the corner that we just do not expect. So how do we live in this world when we know that there's Stress and, and how do we make it through this world? Well, well I believe that um, in order for us to, to really make it through the, the difficult things of this world and the stress that we're going to have in, in our lives, I think we need to come to the realization that I have to make room for the things that are most important. And when we make room for the things that are most important, 
It helps us to reprioritize our world and our lives, to really begin to look at what is really important. Really, what am I... What am I putting my stock in? What what am I really uh, focusing my life and my attention on? And sometimes we all have those wake-up calls, don't we? That that something just slaps us in the face that makes us realize, where am I going and what am I doing? Am I going nowhere fast in a hurry? And I'm spinning my wheels and I'm doing all these things, but I feel like I'm just not getting anywhere. And that's what happens when our priorities get out of of whack. And, and, and I believe we, we need to prioritize for what's most important. There was one CEO of a company that had a sticky note on his computer and it read this, prioritize until it hurts. Prioritize until it hurts. So, so how do we do that? We need to ask ourselves what's most important. And I believe when we look at the Christmas message, and we look at the, at the Christmas story, and that's what we've been kind of diving into over the last, last week and this week and next week and the Christmas Eve. We're going to really dive into the Christmas story because I believe in, 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 in the midst of the Christmas story, there's this message that God wants us to hear. And especially at this time of the year, God wants us to hear this message most, most more than anything else. He wants us to understand the reason why Jesus came. And I think what happens, especially in this time of the year, when we get lost in the midst of all this other stuff, and all this other stuff's not necessarily bad stuff, I think it's prioritizing and it's de-junking and moving things out of our life. So what's really important so that we can enjoy this time of the year without getting lost in all the craziness that it can bring. And I think within the midst of the Christmas message, God wants to tell us something. And I believe one of the key messages of the Christmas story is that God was saying people are the most important thing. The reason why I came is I came for people. I came for lost people. And I think sometimes in the midst of our craziness, um, people get lost in the mix and why Jesus came. And how many know that our world is hurting? That our world is just messed up. And every day we read something new that's going on in our world and all the terrorism, everything else that's going on in our world. And I believe that Jesus is the only answer, that that he is the only hope that we have for this lost world. And this message was broadcasted to our world 2,000 years ago when God came in the form of a little baby, fully God and fully man, incarnate, God came to speak this message to uh, the world. So what I want to do is I um, I, I have to admit, my uh, favorite Christmas show is the Charlie Brown Christmas. They celebrated their 50th uh, uh, year of it being on. How many just love the Charlie Brown? You just, come on. It's just, it's it's so good. And uh, what I love about the story is that it brings out the true meaning of what Christmas is all about. So you got poor Charlie Brown who just, you know, poor Charlie Brown, you know, he can't do anything right. And Charlie Brown, the only thing he has for this Christmas pageant is to to get the, the Christmas tree. And we all know what happens. He gets the ugliest, pitiful Christmas tree that you can find on the lot. And he brings it and they all make fun of him. And he's frustrated. And Charlie Brown just says, you know, he just gets the point, And he's stressed out because he doesn't please anybody. He doesn't make the right decisions. He does everything wrong. And finally, to his demise and to his frustration, he just yells out, you know, what's the, what's the meaning of Christmas? 
What's it, what's it all about? And I love at the end, end of the show, uh, Linus, you know, with his blue blankie, you know, steps up and uh, he gives the true meaning of Christmas and reads the account of the Christmas story in Luke. And so Linus does a lot better job than I can at reading this. So look up at the screens at this time. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? Sure, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Amen. Isn't that good? Uh, we give Linus a hand. Good job, Linus. Um, what, what, what I love about that is, is I never noticed it before, and I noticed this last year I was looking at it, and uh, someone made a comment on it. I'm like, yeah, that's true. When he gets the part in the scripture where it says, fear not, he drops his blanket. His blanket's his security. And when he gets to that, he drops the blanket. Now, me growing up, I had a blue blanket too. True story. I had it until I was about 17 years old. And um, my parents finally said to me, Barden, we had to get rid of the blue blankie because what happened is I had it for so long, it ended up being about this big because it just, you know, getting dirty and they kept having to cut it and had holes in it. And I just, just enough just to rub, you know, you had kids that liked their blankie and they just, Colby, our 18 year old, had a blankie, just loved the edge of it. And he just suck his thumb and rub it. And so anyways, Colby's not here. Don't embarrass him when he comes back from college. But anyways, uh, I love that because here, here's the, here's the, here's the true Meaning and, and what's the, the priority here? Well, it's it's God. Here's what I want you to see from from that story in Luke. It, it's it's God reaching us, uh, uh, establishing a relationship that was broken. And and there's a couple things that I want you to see that I want us to learn about uh, the birth of Christ. I just want to give you two things th- this morning. That's it. Just just two things I want you to I want to unpack this morning, and and I want you just to to go home with and to understand. Here's the thing I want you to understand. What, what, what God is doing within this message of sending his son, God, through the sending of Jesus Christ, broke the biggest barrier that kept us from God. And, and that barrier that kept us from God was our own sin and our own rebellion. And, and because of that, there was this fear of God that we could not approach him. And, and fear of, of losing our lives. We, get, get the picture of... Of the, of the Israelites, when they're brought out of Egypt, God desired at Mount Sinai to establish a relationship with them. And, and so, but they had this fear of God because you see Mount Sinai and you see the thunder and, and, and this, this mighty God that if they were to go in his presence, they would die. But yet God says to them, I'm like a, 
you know, a mother hen that, that, that takes you like my chicks and I'm gathering you under my wings. I've, I've taken you out of that bondage, bondage and I, and I want to make you my own. And so through, through, through Moses being this uh, mediator between God and man, Moses goes up to the mountain before the people, but they didn't want to go. They said, Moses, you go for us. But God's saying, listen, I want to establish a relationship with you. But there was this fear that, that God, how can, how can we have a relationship with you? We're so fearful. We're so afraid of you. Moses, you go for us. And so what God does is he breaks these barriers down by sending his very own son, who is God, for us to break that barrier that separated us from knowing God and taking away that fear and taking away that, 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 that ability to really know God and to understand him and have a relationship with God. And so I believe within this the Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, I want us to see two things that God does to show us that he is breaking barriers down. That this story is all about us. It's all about, it's all about our lives and how God came to reach us and, 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 to, and, and used his son to reestablish that relationship with us. And so I want us, to, I want us to see how he does that and how he reaches out to us and how he reaches out to people. The first thing I want you to see here is that what did God do? God chose lowly surroundings for his son's birth. God chose lowly surroundings for his son's birth. There was no grand announcement to everyone. It wasn't in a palace. Jesus was placed in a a feeding trough for animals. The birth of the Savior of the world started with very humble beginnings. And I I would think to myself, well, why, why did God choose this place? Why would God choose a place where obviously animals are around, where it just seems like this is the place where the Savior of the world is going to be born? And I, the reason why God does this, and I believe the reason why God chose the most humblest of surroundings is for the very fact that, that he could relate to every single one of us. Because if God was born in a palace, I couldn't relate to that. You know, we like to watch, you know, maybe you like to watch English royalty, and Queen Elizabeth and, you know, Princess Kate, and William. And can any of us relate to that? Not even closely. We have no idea what that's like. But God allowing his son to be born in the most humblest surroundings says to you and I, no matter where we come from, where we've been, every single one of us can say, there's a God that I can relate to. There's a God that's not, that, that wasn't trying to be above me. There's a God that was actually trying to reach me right at the point of my need. And this is how Christ came. He came in humility. And what God is saying to us, that's the person that I receive. I receive the one that comes with a humble heart. The one that doesn't come in their own strength, in their own ability. Look what I've done. God says, you come just as you are broken and humble and I will receive you. That's the way my son came into the world. That's the way you come into a relationship with me. In fact, the Bible says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace and receives the contrite and humble in heart that realizes we have nothing to bring. And we come with that humble heart and realize, God, I don't deserve anything. There's nothing that you owe me. 
Because I realize that relationship is broken because of, of my rebellion and because of my sin. God says, come just as you are and I will receive you. That's the message we see from Jesus being born in the most humblest conditions. But the second thing that I, I want to spend my time on, because I believe this is the juxt of the message, is that God chose lowly people to announce the birth of his son. Not only that God chose lowly surroundings, but he chooses lowly people. The first people to hear the announcement, Jesus comes to them. That Jesus comes to them. That God says to them, I want to invite you in to the most wonderful, greatest thing that has ever happened on the face of this earth. I want you to come. I'm going to invite you to come. So, so what's, what's interesting about this, about God inviting these shepherds to come? What's interesting about this is there's a prophecy in the book of Jeremiah chapter 33 that talks about the shepherds being at this scene. That these shepherds, not them not knowing it at the time as we saw, because great fear gripped their hearts when these angels came in to announce this. When this angel came to announce it, great fear gripped their hearts. They, they didn't understand the prophecy, but God had this all set up. God says, these are the people that I'm going to use. And Jeremiah prophesied about this hundreds of years earlier in chapter 33, starting with verse 13. It says this. It says, In the city, cities of the hill country, the places about Jerusalem, and in the cities of, uh, of Judah, flocks shall again pass under the hands of the one who counts them, says the Lord, speaking of the shepherds. And continuing verses 15 and 16, God says, In those days, in those days, and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and Judah will be saved. Now we all know that Jesus comes in the divinic line of that, of that kingship of David, that he is the Messiah that the Jews were waiting for. So hundreds of years earlier, Jeremiah, through the inspiration of God, prophesied, that the shepherds would be the ones that would witness that the, that the, that the Savior of the world would come under the, the, the shepherds and, and, and proclaim this wonderful message. By fulfilling this ancient prophecy, the shepherds proved that Jesus indeed is the Savior. You see, it wasn't kings or dignitaries or the religious of that time that would hear of Christ's birth at first. God chose to reveal his son's birth to shepherds watching their flock out in the fields. Now, I know we get this picture of maybe shepherds and we, we get this kind of glamorous picture of them maybe, maybe because of the manger scenes. I, I don't know. But let me tell you what shepherds were really like because this will make more sense and why God chose them. The shepherds at that time were not really seen in high esteem. They were actually considered untrustworthy and because of their occupation, for religious reasons, they were considered unclean, not being able to worship in the temple. They couldn't go and worship with others in the temple. Um, with the exception of lepers, shepherds at the time were considered the lowliest of the social ladder. They were basically social outcasts of their day. They, 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 were, they were shut out. There was a wall that separated them from actually knowing God. And so through these social stigmas, there was a wall that was separated from them actually knowing God. And here God goes to them, the social outcasts of the day, the wall that was built up from them to even go worship in the temple. God chooses to go to them 
in the fields where they're watching their flock to announce the greatest message that's ever been told to the world. God goes to the lowliest of the lows and says, I choose you. So you're thinking, well, what, what does that mean for us here today? Here's what it means for you and I today. The message is for all of us because all of us here are just like the shepherds. That we were outcasts because of our sin. We were separated because of God. There was a wall that separated us from actually knowing God because of our sin. That wall could not be climbed. That wall could not be torn down. It was literally impossible to get through that wall. You could not get through that wall in your own merit or your own goodness. The wall was too high, too large, too thick for us to ever go over. And just like these shepherds that just kind of probably just gave up and said, well, that's the way we are and that's the way society treats us. But God goes to them and says, listen, I want to reach you. I want to tell this to you. I'm going to announce this to you, the lowliest of the lowly. So God chooses to bring the good news of Christ to those who were far away to actually bring them near. God, what he does is he goes out to where they are in the fields by themselves, away from society, cast it out, walls that separated them from allowing them to worship. God goes to them in the fields and he says, hey, I've got good news for you. I want you to come. I'm going to invite you to come to witness this great event. The greatest event that has ever happened on the face of this earth. I want to invite you to this. And so at first, we see that they were afraid and, and they saw one angel and, and the angel said, do not be afraid because I have good news, not bad news for you. Now, now I don't know about you, but I like good news, especially when I think it's going to be bad news. Right? When you've already got in your mind like, oh, this isn't going to be good and you've got some bad news. Maybe it's a car repair that isn't as much as you thought, which never happens, but maybe in your world it does. Not my world, but maybe in your world that you live in, it does. Maybe, maybe for you students, you thought you were going to get a bad grade and then you knew that you ended up getting a better grade than you thought. And you're like, wow, I didn't realize I thought I failed and, and I really uh, uh, passed uh, you know, and got a good grade. You know, after the, the angels announced this, there's a multitude of, of angels that appear, probably thousands. Um, and I heard one commentator say this, and I thought it was interesting. He says, for some reason from the Christmas cards, we think that all these angels were probably in the air, but most likely they were all on the ground. Now, can you imagine this? They're just minding their own business, tending the flock, you know, playing their harmonicas, you know, sitting around the fire, singing cowboy songs, whatever they were doing, right? Listening to, you know, Johnny Cash. I don't know what they were doing, right? Um, and so they're there, and all of a sudden, this great event, and now you've got all these angels that are on the ground, thousands, and they're in the midst of this angelic host of angels proclaiming this great news to the outcasts of society, now, if anyone thought that they were the least to receive this news, it would have been the shepherds. And so they're all saying glory to God in the highest. And the message of Christ is this. It's about bringing those that were far away, bringing them near again, bringing them close to God. You see, Jesus came for us to bring us back to God, to heal the broken relationships that sin had left behind 
And what Jesus does is he restores all things and makes all things new. It's all about relationships. What Jesus wants from us is he invites us to come into his life. Do you realize that Jesus Christ sends the invitation to every single one of us? I didn't choose Jesus. Jesus chose me. He chooses you. He knows your life. He knows what you've done. You you don't think they, they understood what the shepherds were and who they were and what they represented, but God didn't care. God chose those that were far away to come near. You see, the ones that think they're the nearest to God are are the ones that are missing it. The ones that think they're righteous, the ones that think they're okay with God, the ones that think they don't have to come in humility, the ones that think they're smart enough and they have all the education and they think they got it all figured out are the ones that are too deaf to hear. God says, I've come for the far away, for those that feel like they don't deserve, that feel like their lives are too messed up. See, when you can get to the point in your life where you realize, I don't deserve it, you will hear the Christmas message in a totally different way. When you get to the point of your life where you say, I don't have it all figured out. When you get to the point in your life where you feel, when you say, God, I've missed you and I've tried to figure it out myself, but I'm a sinner and I need your grace. Those are the ones that God receives. And so what these shepherds did is they heard the word of these angelic beings and they heard this wonderful proclamation that, that that the Savior has been born. In the town of Bethlehem, there is a Savior that has been born. And the good news is that he's come to rescue men from their sins. Now, what I love about the angels is when they heard this message from the angel, what did they do? Well, basically they said, okay, that was special. Let's go back to shepherding. No, what did they do? They left everything And went quickly to where Jesus was. And what we see here is we see Jesus breaking down the walls of their fear. Catch this. Just like Linus dropped his blankie, his nice blue blankie, right? What these shepherds did, at first they were fearful because when an angel of the Lord came, it didn't usually mean good news, It usually meant the opposite, God's judgment. And so their first reaction was, (gasps) we're getting what we deserve. What do we do? God, you're going to strike me down with lightning, right? They said, no, 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 we've got good news for you. We want those that are far away to come near. And what Jesus does is the relationship with Jesus breaks all our fears that we can now approach the holy God, not without fear, but the Bible says now with confidence, We can draw near to God because of what Christ did for us. Jesus was our mediator. Jesus was our substitute. Jesus took on the wrath of God. Jesus took on our sins. So now there is no more fear. I come to God through Jesus Christ and through his precious sacrifice. I do not have to fear any longer. And I don't have to fear that God will not accept me. God accepts you through his son, Jesus And he loves you, and he cares for you, and he wants you to come. They no longer have any fear. They do not 
hesitate. It's not like, should we go or not? They're like, no, let's leave everything. The invitation was there. Now the fear has dropped because Jesus has done that for that. And here's, here's where I just want, want to bring it home. Um, because when the gospel message grips my heart, and I understand that Jesus is the one that restores the broken relationship between myself and God, um, that, that he restores and that he heals my hurt, my brokenness, that, that, that separation that I had with God. When that, when that message penetrates my heart, I begin to realize that I didn't deserve it. The shepherds didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. But it was by God's free grace that he reached out to the shepherds and said, you come, you are invited, the lowly of low, you don't think you deserve it. You thought you deserve death, but I'm going to bring you life. So come and receive my grace. See, when I realize that, when that truly becomes a reality to me, then that grace and forgiveness must flow from my heart. See, if Christmas is going to be real to you this year, it has to be seen in your relationships. Now, this is where it gets hard. Because when someone has done something against me to hurt me, right? We want that other person to hurt, right? We want that other person to feel the pain because of what you did for me. But the gospel message says, no, You must be willing to forgive. As much as you've been forgiven, that has to flow from your heart and your life. As much grace as you've received, that grace has to flow from your heart and life. You see, it's all about people. We need to ask ourselves, do I have a broken relationship in my life that needs repair? And you might be even thinking this. And pastor, I'm stressed out because I know I have to go to that family party where that person is there and I can't stand them. I can't stand them. I don't want to see them. I'm going to do everything I can to avoid them. You've been thinking about this. You've been stressing out over this. You've been, you, you have a plan of the house where you can sit and they're not going to be or when they're going to show up and you can leave. You, this is all in your brain because you are stressed out because of this broken relationship. You see, what's at the heart of the Christmas message is what did the angel bring to the shepherds? Well, it was this good news, this glad tidings that Christ came to restore that which was broken, that our relationship with God, which was broken because of sin, has now been repaired. God reached out to us first to repair our relationship with him. God went to the shepherds right where they were at in their fields to repair that relationship, to bring them to Jesus who took away that fear to say, this is for you. This is why I've come to restore this relationship. There's no more fear. God reached out to us first to repair our relationship with, with, with him. So maybe you're here today Maybe it's a broken relationship with someone. Maybe your relationship with God is broken. Maybe you're here today and you're like, Pastor, I'm just, I'm just mad at God because of things that have happened in my life. Maybe there's a repair in your relationship with God that needs to be healed. And I want you to realize that, that he's waiting. He's waiting. He wants to come right into the midst of your of your issues and 
and your hardened heart. And he says, let me heal it. Let my forgiveness cover you. And don't allow yourself to drink the poison of unforgiveness. See, see, we know that, that, that unforgiveness and bitterness is the poison we drink waiting for the other person to die. I, um, I wanted to close with this story. It's a true story. Some of you um, may have heard this story, and I just love this story because it's about forgiveness. It's about God's tremendous grace. And it's about a guy, um, an Italian guy, praise Jesus, his name is Louis Zampernini. And those of you know who he is, if you saw the movie um, Unbroken or read any of his books. But this is an incredible story of the forgiving power of God. Now, for some of you that saw the movie, I, thought, I saw the movie, I thought it was a great movie, but they left out the best part. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the, the part two of the movie today, if you saw the movie. If you read his books, you know. Um. Louis had a troubled upbringing. Parents were immigrants, but Louis was fast. Louis was a great track star, one of the best high school track stars in our country. Went to the 1936 Olympic Games, um, did very well there. But as you all know, World War II was starting. So Louis uh, went and joined the Army Air Corps. And while he was there and, and fighting the Pacific, his plane went down due to engine trouble, and, and uh, he was uh, on a raft for 47 days. Should have died in shark-infested waters. Finally, they got rescued, but they got rescued by the enemy, the Japanese. And he, for two years, spent his life in a POW camp, and he was treated horribly, which the movie really depicts. Um under horrible conditions. And they kind of singled him out because they knew that he was an Olympic star. So once they knew that, he kind of got singled out. And um, his captors just treated him horribly. Um, but there was, there was um, one captor there named the Bird in the POW camp. And, and this person treated him horribly. And, and basically, the, the depiction of the movie, if you saw the movie, is that he was unbroken. He didn't allow his captors to get the best of him. And he made it through. And he was able, eventually they were released, and he went home. Well, that's kind of where the end of the movie is, but we don't see what happens. When he came home, his life was a train wreck. His, his whole life at this point was like, how can I get back at my captors? He was bitter. He was angry. He, in fact, he turned into um, an alcoholic. He, uh, he had post-traumatic syndrome because of that. Waking up one night, almost strangling his wife, thinking she was the bird. This captor that tortured him. And finally, his wife says, I can't take it. Um, I've, I've got I've to get a divorce. Well, before she did that, someone that lived in their apartment complex invited them to a Billy Graham crusade in California, where they lived. So she went. And she went, she received Christ as her Lord and Savior at a Billy Graham crusade. And so she wanted to invite Louis. Louis says, I ain't going, because I know it's going to happen. They're going to go there, and if I hear anything about, you know, every tongue shall confess and every knee bow, I'm out of there, right? So she finally got him to go. Sure enough, they got to that point, he left. 
So she kept begging him, Louis, please go back one more time. Please, 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 because the crusade was there for, for that whole week. Please go back. So he did. Two days later, he went back. And that's where God grabbed his heart. At that crusade, Billy Graham crusade, Louis came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And it radically changed his life. Jesus changed his life. All the stress, the night terrors, the alcoholism, gone. Gone. And he attributes it all to Jesus Christ. So, now he's got the bitterness, the hatred towards his captors are now gone. He goes, the only way that I can know if I can make this real, because how many know it's one thing to say, I forgive you. Right? We say that, right? Oh, I've forgiven them. And meanwhile, when that name is mentioned or someone brings it up, we're the first to say, well, let me gain you my damn hand. I got some choice words to say about Right? Have we really forgiven them? No. We just say it because we know that's the right Christian response, right? So what Louis does, he goes, I've got to meet my captors. I have to look them in the eye and tell them that I've forgiven them. So what does Louis do? He goes to Japan. And he goes to the prison where most of them are because they are in prison because of war crimes. So he stands before his previous captors who treated him horribly and he looks them in the eye and he forgives them. He goes, the only way I know it can be real if I can look them in the eye to forgive them for what they did against me. Only Christ can do that because as much forgiveness has been given and grace has been given as much as we we will give out. So this became real for Louis. Well, the problem is the bird man, the one that treated him horribly was not there. Well, what this guy did was after the war, he went off into the mountains and hid. They couldn't find him. Eventually, after seven years, they did find him, but the United States gave amnesty to, to those that committed these war crimes, so they were, they were basically free. So what Louis did is he wrote this guy a letter because he couldn't meet up with him, so he wrote him a letter telling the bird that he for, forgave him. Now, that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of the story. What happened in 1998 at the Nagano Olympics in Japan Nagano was just not very far from where he was a POW. He got to go back there and carry the torch at those Olympic Games in 1998. Well, 60 Minutes was doing, uh, doing, doing an interview, and they, they got to interview the Birdman, and they wanted to set up a meeting because, because Louis wanted to meet this guy and tell him personally that, that you know he forgave him, he wrote him a letter, but he wanted to meet him personally And this is what happened in that interview. The birdman says, I don't regret anything I did. I was treating the enemy the way they should have been treated. And I don't have any regrets. And I don't want to meet him. I don't want to meet Louis. I don't want to have a meeting. See, here's here's the end of the story. You've got a guy who found forgiveness who was free from the bondage of his past, the one who got treated the worst, found the forgiveness of God and was able to forgive the most. And you've got the other one who was being offered forgiveness, who least deserved it, but yet refused it to live 
in his bitterness and actually die with that bitterness in his heart. See, where are you today? The message of Christmas, if the gospel message is real to us, is not just about singing Silent Night, right? And away in a manger and how cute the baby is, right? That's easy. That's not invasive at all, right? If we're going to truly hear the gospel message today of what Christmas means about today, it's that Jesus came to restore broken relationships. And when I receive that grace and mercy from God, I am released from all that bitterness, all that unforgiveness. And now I become an agent of reconciliation to a world that needs to hear the forgiveness of Christ. I have to be that vehicle that God uses to proclaim that, even in the worst situations. The reason why Louis's heart was changed is because Jesus changed it. He understood the grace and the forgiveness, and he could not hold that back. He could not offer forgiveness if he was going to truly know and understand the forgiveness of God. So, so for you here today, I want you to know that Christ has come to bring you near. And to deal with all your pain and all your past and all your ugliness and to forgive you of that. And now the next step is God says, now I want to use you as my agent of reconciliation to this world that so desperately needs to hear it. Christians need to be the first ones that forgive. Christians need to be the first ones to show grace. We need to be the ones that are reaching out. We need to be the ones that step into this dark world to say, hey, we've got a better way, and it's Jesus Christ. That's how he wants to use you. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know where your relationship is with God or with other people, but I'm telling you today, come to Jesus. He's inviting you into his life to restore you and to heal you of all that brokenness and bitterness that's in your heart, and he wants to change it and then free you from that. And the things that I love yet you hear about Louis is that from his children, I heard some interviews with his children, they said, man, he was happy to the day he died. Died of pneumonia not too long ago. But he goes, he, why? Because he was forgiven. That's what it means to be unbroken. Not, the, not that he just made it through a POW camp, but that he did not allow bitterness. The bigger enemy is not him being in a POW camp, the bigger enemy would have been his bitterness, just like the bird. The bird man is the one that was truly in the POW camp, not Louie. And some of you, you're just in a POW camp right now because of your bitterness, because of your pain and your hurt. Jesus wants to break you of that and to bring you out so that you can find his forgiveness and his grace. That's the power of the message of Christmas. Let Christ change you today. So I want to pray for you and just allow God to heal you and just come to him. And then, and then we're going to sing the Christmas carol. Amen? Angels we have heard on high, one of my favorites. And we're just going to rejoice in that message of what Jesus did for us. Would you stand with me and bow your hearts with me to this morning? And let's just stand. And may God just touch your heart today. Let, let's, let's pray. Let's mean, mean business with God today. Lord, we just come before you now and... God, you know our hearts. You know what we're going through. You know our past, God. You know our unforgiveness. You know our bitterness. You know our messiness. But you come into our life and where we are to offer forgiveness to us. 
And so, Lord, I pray for every person here that just needs that, that needs that forgiveness and that healing in their life. Let the gospel message so permeate our hearts and our lives that it breaks that, that bitterness and, and that unforgiveness from us that we can now be used by you. Just like what you did for Louis. I pray you do for every single person in this place. None of us deserve it in this place. None of us deserve your grace, but it was a gift through your love that you gave to us through your son that we could now be made right with God. So I pray for anyone here that just needs to be made right with you, God. May they call out to you. May they be the one that that initiates these broken relationships, even though they may not receive it, even though, even in Louis' case, the, the other gentleman did not receive it. He offered it. Thank you for that. Only you can do that, Jesus. So restore our hearts, we pray. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into our dark places, into our lonely places, and rescuing us today. And we just give you the glory. In Jesus' powerful, wonderful name, we ask these things. And all God's children said, amen, amen, amen.